Betches Media presents Not Another True Crime Podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And you know us as your partners in wine, crime, and time. And we're here with a, a, a different type of episode. Yes. This week, we're going to be talking to the authors of Victim F, a new book out by Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn about a true horrible event that they went through. Uh, You guys probably know it as what was called the real life gone girl kidnapping, but it was, in fact, very real. A very real thing that the media and the police got twisted, messed up. And that's why they're putting this book out yeah. to kind of show their side of the story, uh, reclaim their story. And they're a very inspiring couple who's overcome so much. We have an interview with them at the end of this episode. But we wanted to give you guys, in case maybe you are not familiar with the case, a rundown of what it was because we kind of talk about, we didn't rehash uh, the case with them. So just to give you a rundown before our interview with them. Yeah, I will say, I actually did not know about this. I wasn't that familiar. Yeah, no. You know, there's so many cases. I feel like you can't can't catch them all at the time. Definitely be sure their book is out now. And definitely be sure to check it out. Victim F, From Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors by Aaron Quinn, Denise Huskins, and Nikki Egan. That's their third writer. Yeah. So a brief overview of the kidnapping that was called a hoax that was not actually a hoax. Um, mm-hmm. Denise and Aaron, which we spoke to, they're these two physical therapists. Gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. They met. They had this like love story in 2014 in the Bay Area. And uh, Denise told ABC News that they were very drawn together. They were just like a, cl- a classic, like a cute physical therapist. They just had a good <laughs> love life a together. Power they- couple. We love a Dr. Power couple, and they really are. (laughs) Truly. But the kidnapping in question happened in March 2015 when Denise and Aaron were woken up by someone saying this is a robbery at like 3 a.m. They the kidnapper was apparently wearing a full body wetsuit and they were bound with zip ties and then forced into a closet. And this happened at Aaron's home in Vallejo, California. Mm hmm. Then in the closet, they were I read they were drugged and then with, I think, a, a mix of like NyQuil and Valium. Yes. And then they were put on. Um, They had the kidnapper put goggles on them with duct tape over the eyes. So you couldn't see. Yeah. Anything. So effectively like a blindfold, but goggles. And blindfold, but this goggles. is a, a weird detail. The kidnappers apparently monitored their heart rate and blood pressure. Yeah, I didn't know if it was to track if like they were someone was having like a heart attack almost because they didn't want someone to die. But then I'm like, well, don't fucking kidnap someone if you're worried if they're going to have a heart attack out of right. fear and anxiety. I mean, there was another moment where at the end where the kidnappers tried to act benevolent. And I was like, yeah, but you still kidnapped and assaulted someone like. Yeah, that doesn't it, so doesn't weird. make up for anything. Yeah. yeah. Denise and Aaron were told their attackers were from a highly trained organized group and they were holding Denise for ransom. Their plan was supposedly to kidnap Denise, then return her in 48 hours if Aaron paid the $8,500 ransom. So Denise was taken away while then Aaron was forced into a closet, like we mentioned, drugged. And then he listened to this pre-recorded message of the ransom directions. The instructions had like specific things about him and stuff like that. So that's why they were like, oh, God, this could be like 
maybe something targeted or something situation like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, there also were very specific directions. He was apparently meant to pay this ransom in two installments. And then also, if anyone asked about him before the withdrawals, he was um, he was supposed to say that he was buying a boat. I guess, you know, I I guess that is an expensive purchase. I guess that's how you can make that work. I guess you can't be like, I'm just buying lunch for six, 17 grand. (laughs) I'm not Erica Jane. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much boats cost, but. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, that that would it's definitely an expensive purchase that you would buy in California. True. So um, a few hours after the kidnapping, Denise still hadn't been returned. So Aaron called the Vallejo police. Meanwhile, Denise's dad went on a local CNN affiliate to um, beg the kidnappers to return his daughter. Then the San Francisco Chronicle posted an audio clip of uh, someone claiming to be Denise saying, among other things, I'm kidnapped, but otherwise I'm fine. And this was sent via an anonymous email with an audio file. The email said that Denise would be returned safely on Wednesday and the kidnappers would send a link to her location once she was dropped off. It also said any advance on us or our associates will create a dangerous situation for Denise, which I feel is pretty like the typical threat in kidnapping. That is. Yeah. Yes. So as I mentioned, she was taken from the home, held at a secondary location, drugged and sexually assaulted. And then she was returned two days after the kidnapping, March 25th in Huntington Beach, which was I think her dad. She was dropped off at her dad's apartment, which was like over 400 miles south of where she was abducted. And that's what's so weird, too, that she was like, just not even it couldn't just be like a random location. Why would you be dropped off like right near where your family was? Right. Like, you're, like, yeah. And she was returned hours before the ransom was due. That's true. And then they found out because her father got a voicemail from her saying that she'd been dropped off at his apartment. And I remember the dad mentioning in an interview that it was like a struggle to even get any like police officers to mm-hmm. go pick her up because even at this point, they were convinced it was a hoax. Yeah. So that is a main thing that Denise and Aaron talk about both in their book and also just with the situation too, because you feel like you hear their story like, oh, this woman was kidnapped, man drugged and kept in closet type of situation. We should go to the police. And when they did go to the police, though, they did not get the help or the cl- clarity is not the word, but they did not get the support that they needed. So when Aaron went to the police, he was interrogated for hours. I'm pretty sure like he just told hours. us like 18 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the police suggested that he killed Denise. So it was sort of kind of one of the like, I'm going to say like a, a torture technique of just drawing him out, drawing him out to get a confession or a false confession, which it would have been in his case if he did confess. Right. It seemed like it was really one of those cases that happens in so many true crime documentaries where the police have tunnel vision and they don't even mm-hmm. entertain any other possible suspects or possibilities. And it just seemed like this was that from the get go. Like they even when Aaron was talking to them, they they thought they both faked it. Yeah, so because even they were like, oh, Aaron, you failed. They had to take a polygraph test. An FBI agent told him he failed. But like, did he or did they just tell him that he failed? So he was like, I was oh, wondering. Damn, you caught me. You know what I mean? Because like, how many, I, that's actually when you're getting 
when, when you're getting um, interrogated or anything like that, you don't get the results of the polygraph test. Well, the right. cops just tell also, you. Also, like, you don't know how to, who knows how to read a polygraph? Like, oh, no, oh you know, God. and police are allowed to lie to you in interrogation. Like, that's a pretty common <laughs> tactic. So when I read that he was told that he failed, I was like, well, that doesn't really mean anything. It literally means nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. who knows if he failed it? And also, you know, we know you guys are going to DM us that polygraphs are like, junk science basically and they're not admissible in court a, anyway so it doesn't really matter it's a Rorschach test yeah. it's truly the police just going you lied and then it's like but what are you trying to get from right this? Yeah. for sure so all of this is happening mind you while Denise is still not released or found so the police are just interrogating Aaron not looking for anybody else just saying Aaron killed his wife and now he is here and we have her. right but then of course like we said that she was uh found denise was released uh and the police claimed that the couple stayed this whole elaborate hoax even they used the phrase they thought that they wanted like their 15 minutes of fame right it's like to what end because they would be paying the ransom to themselves so that doesn't make any sense they're not doing it for money and like why would anyone i mean we did cover a similar disappearance i wanted to ask them about this but i didn't Oh, like about um, Sherry Papini. Yeah, because yeah, I know. a lot of people think that she faked that disappearance as well. But it's just like, I don't know. There's so many other ways to get media attention. I don't who's who's it's, doing that. I, I like I, that's the true thing. It's like just like eat 90 Oreos at once and you'll be on the front page of some magazine. Like there's easier ways to do that, like to do something <laughs> just for attention of the cloud. I know. Do like the cinnamon challenge. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, exactly, though. I don't want to So, uh, Lieutenant Kenny Park, uh, the spokesperson for the Vallejo police, called the situation a quote unquote wild goose chase in 2015. Yeah, like really mincing words, buddy. Yeah. And like really throwing a blame game on Denise and Aaron. He even said that the situation took focus away from real victims who need the police. <laughs> what about these victims right here? Right. Yeah. So, not super surprisingly, Quinn and Huskins failed to cooperate with the police when she was released because they're not, what are you going to cooperate? You're not, they're not fitting into their narrative as these fake victims. They are actual victims. So, they had nothing to, they, why would they, what would they have to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, the police department went very hard on calling this kidnapping a hoax, so much so that the kidnappers. This is the craziest thing. This, this is a hard thing. This is insane that the kidnappers had to contact the San Francisco Chronicle saying, Miss Victim F was absolutely kidnapped. We did it. We would rather take the chance of revealing the truth than live in a world where someone like Victim F is victimized again. But I was like, okay, but you could have just not <laughs> victimized Victim- her the first time. Like, what is this That's good guy ha- kidnapper thing? I know, like, this like, isn't I fucking g- Robin right, Hood. Right, like, I guess thanks for using your powers well, for good, but, like, also, absolutely not. My my theory with why the kidnapper did this is, like, egotistical. Like, they want to have the headlines that there was a kidnapper who was That's actually true. I bet they there. were pissed. I don't think they're just, like, out of the goodness no. of my heart. It's like, no, they're fucking I psychos guess that's who true. want clout and attention. That's yeah. That's true. So the alleged kidnappers referred to themselves as professional thieves, though we have not been doing it that long and didn't identify ourselves as such. So, okay. <laughs> they were trying to reveal themselves. I know. Yeah. I feel like this is like when, when someone asks, like, I don't know how long I've been running an Instagram or something. <laughs> like, 
No, but it's truly like, Sarah, to your point, like they gave more information about themselves than like the mass singer clues you get. Like Jenny McCarthy could have solved a better case because I, I feel like she would at least right? try to do Like talk about inserting yourself into the investigation. They were like, they're pretty yeah. much just like, this is us. This is us, Mandy Moore. Uh, they <laughs> they really wanted their identity to be known, like we're saying. So they told the police, we are more than two and it's fewer than eight. It's all the Chronicle, I think. Oh, the Chronicle, yeah, sorry. We are more than two and fewer than eight in number. All but one of us holds at least bachelor degrees, including from your alma mater. Like, this is what I'm saying. These people basically tried to leave a scavenger hunt. Like, wh- what is that about? I know. I also want to be like, who's alma mater? And it's like a riddle. Matters, like, but- more than two, but fewer Ugh, than eight. God. and. I know. I'm like, what number is that? <laughs> I guess between three to seven. <laughs> like, Shit, okay. And then you're just walking around for like groups of people with bachelor degrees in right, San Francisco. Like, you got to go through your yearbook from college to figure out <laughs> like who. And um, apparently slash allegedly the group used to maybe steal cars, but there wasn't enough money in that. So they made a quick old pivot. To I mean, that's what they said. That's what they yeah. said they did. But like, I mean, who really knows? Yeah, I feel like it's just like, uh, yeah, I know. I feel like it's like what they said, but it's like they just have a lot of lies going on. Yeah. Uh, they also said, we are criminals, I suppose. but We have co- uh, consciences and seeing the impact of our actions on someone deeply affected us and caused us to reconsider our lives. Yeah, right. Save this for the therapist or the police. Yeah, like, right. You're not, if you have a real conscious change, you're going to confess about what you fucking did. I'm mad. I would be so mad being like, oh, well, now I have a conscience and I feel bad. Like, no, like, where were you when you kidnapped someone and drugged the other guy and came up with this elaborate scheme? And speaking of an elaborate scheme, they also said that Denise's kidnapping was a practice run for a bigger target. They said, for what it's worth, what could have ended up as a prolific and dangerous criminal group was disbanded and you have victim F to thank for it. They demanded that the Vallejo PD apologize to Denise and Aaron, uh, which side note, spoiler alert, we found out they never, they gave a public one this year, never did to that. It's like, never I know, right? It was public. like when Justin Timberlake put out an Instagram apologizing Ugh. to Janet Jackson and everyone was like, but did you call her? Right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Trash. The group compared themselves to Ocean's Eleven. We fancied ourselves as sort of Ocean's Eleven's gentlemen, gentlemen criminals. We only took stuff that was insured from people who could afford it. They said in a federal arrest warrant. That doesn't involve people. You know what I mean? That's, it's also just like, shut the fuck up. Like, that's the thing. Why are you, why are you telling everybody? Yeah. This? It's like when evil villains monologue. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And you're like, can you just do whatever? What, 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 like, what are we doing? Shut here? up. Nobody cares about your justifications. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're like heroes. Yeah. Journey, you traumatized at least two yeah. people. Actually, probably two more. So, like we said, even though the police went pretty, pretty hard on their idea from the get go that it was a hoax, this was actually very real. I feel obviously or else we wouldn't be here talking about it. Um, but it's not like they decided to just believe the victims who were asking for help. Uh, no. What happened was, and actually it's really sad that another couple had to go through a, a traumatic experience to even have this get taken seriously. Um, mm. But in June 2015, a similar failed home invasion happened in Dublin, California. So basically what happened was a couple told police that they woke up in the middle of the night because a white man in a darkly colored security guard outfit was shining a flashlight in their faces. The wife ran to the bathroom, locked the door and called 911 while the husband fought the attacker who ended up escaping. Honestly, shouts out. 
because that is impressive. Yeah, that is intense. Yeah. Except this idiot left his cell phone on top of a cabinet along with zip ties, duct tape and a fabric glove. So they got him. Mm-hmm. And who, the real like, I feel the real person who tied this together um, was the police detective in Dublin at the time, Misty. She was the one who alerted the FBI that this attempted robber could also be Huskins kidnapper. And so that was how a they very put it night and day situation. Yeah, it was a very like, I mean, it was very uh, similar kind of same uh, setup. And Sarah, the reveal of who the kidnapper was found out because the phone <laughs> the mom, I think the mom rep- said that the, her son lost his phone and this is her son. Dumb. So uh, the kidnapper was a man by the name of Matthew Muller, who was a Harvard educated former attorney. He worked at Harvard's immigration clinic and later became an immigration lawyer in San Francisco. Um, on In his home, authorities ended up finding Aaron's computer, goggles covered with tape, like we talked about, with a long blonde hair attached to it. Two two-way radios and a water pistol painted black. This is the part that got me because like literally they were there were no guns. It was a water gun spray painted with like a laser pointer, I think, and a flashlight duct to it, duct tape to it. It's and that's what I just don't. It's just confusing because it's like, so what was the like, what what is what was your seriously? Po- like, you it's like, I mean? why did you do this to these poor people? Yeah. All of this. And then so they finally were able to be believed, Denise and Aaron, about what happened to their situation. Uh, and in 2016, Mueller pled guilty to one count of federal kidnapping. Uh, he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. The state charged him with two counts of rape by force, robbery and bur- burglary. But in November 2020, he was declared unfit to stand trial. A little bit about him. He was a Marine from 95 to 99 and told authorities that he suffers from Gulf War illness and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2008. In 2018, Denise and Aaron sued the city of Vallejo for defamation and won a $2.5 million settlement. Oh, yeah. Good for, yes. The city, this is what, yeah, so the city did issue a statement apologizing to the police. Didn't get it. They did not apologize to them. Yeah, I mean, they just issued a statement. Like, that's not a real apology. They will talk more about this, but some of the uh, police that impeded their case to find truth and find light and for their support are promoted and are still, they are doing their fucking cool. thing. So there is hate that. Hate it here. Uh, hate it. We are, we are, we are out here. Yeah. And, but thank, uh, thankfully, Denise and Aaron are both, uh, they're alive and they are brave enough to continue sharing their story too. And it's a tale that, I mean, even if it's people who weren't, kidnapped or not exactly the situation a lot of i feel people who were are victimized in other ways or had similar type of situations can use their book to kind of help them heal or feel heard or just something like that yes and that book is victim f from crime victims to suspects to survivors and it's out now wherever you buy books check it out and now here is a little uh interview that they did with us and they're just very insightful very 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 nice people welcome back we are back with denise huskins and aaron quinn authors of victim f from crime victims to suspects to survivors i mean we're super excited to talk to you guys today 
Um, and we, you know, just want to talk to you about the book, obviously, and and the story and everything that went into it. Um, first, I feel like we'll start off a little light. What was it like to write a book with your spouse? Oh, it was actually a really um, interesting and and fun um, experience at times. It was nice to be able to kind of have your creative outlet, um, go through your own emotional uh, roller coaster, and then share it with your partner and have them um, give give not necessarily critique, but you know um, their opinion of of where maybe you can expand on or um, even just positive feedback to let you know that you're going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. I think importantly too, is like, I mean, we probably spent, it took us about I don't know, nine months to, to write the book, but probably two years to edit more or less. Um, Cause we kept on adding and trying to make it as compelling as possible. But uh, I mean, some chapters, I must have, I think one chapter I rewrote maybe 15 times and, but then to read out loud and to have Denise go like, yeah, that's it. That's the, the emotion that, um, or that sentence captures the emotion or captures that moment really well. It's, uh, it's, well, it's pretty, uh, invaluable to have that resource and, you know, have a person who knows it as well as we know it, um, who's lived it. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we, obviously love and adore each other, but it was a, another experience of just being in awe of each other, you know, just to see his strength and, and creativity and being able to articulate the things that he's gone through and, and vice versa. So it was a really special experience. I, I love that. And how, and I mean, there's so much because obviously you guys have been through so much. Was there all, when was the, how, what was the first discussion where you two felt like we want to tell our story and like kind of own your story because obviously a lot of outlets reported it, but from both of you, was there a lot of, were you, were you pushing back before writing the book or did you feel like we need to get this out from our POV? I think it was pretty, pretty early on that we would have hoped to write a book. Um, you know, it was a, a interesting experience in that it was so publicized that when we started just kind of um, reaching out to some people saying, do you think this could be a book? And we got a lot of people saying, absolutely not. Um, no what? Really? Gonna, Why? They, they said, no one's going to be interested. You know, like what happened to you was awful, but no one's going to want to buy or read a book about it. Um, or it's already been covered too much by the media that, um, you know, people are going to feel like they already know the story. And we're like, well, there's so much more that the media just cannot or refuses to, to really dive into. Um, so it was, it was a long battle to find the right people to work with. And I mean, we were so fortunate to find the co-author we did and the publishers that we did that actually really supported us in our vision for the book. And we really wanted it to be told from the victim's perspective, because often in true crime, it's more focused around the perpetrator or, you know, the hero detective or law enforcement, which, or a journalist, you know, who, who covered it a little, um, you know, a little bit removed and outside looking in. And we've already had a lot of um, outsiders telling our story. So um, it felt necessary to tell it from our perspective. And do you mind elaborating just on what kind of, or maybe if there's one standout or a few things that you felt the media, when you said they chose to ignore or chose not to cover, could you elaborate on what kind of, what 
was the recurring motif you felt being left out that you were like, why? Why are you guys not discussing this? Well, initially when it was called a hoax, uh, there was the emails from the kidnappers that gave ample uh, evidence and talked about crimes that were were reported to actually happen and not it didn't seem like any investigators actually went looked into those crimes and ignored basically our whole past history. So there was uh you know we have doctorate degrees. Um, we worked really hard to become physical therapists. We worked at a well we worked at a well renowned um, rehab center with some of the most difficult patients. People had suffered strokes or brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, and none of that seemed to matter. Uh, to the to the media, it was just kind of like, well, they're physical therapists. So that was a very frustrating on our standpoint because our reputations were shattered, and that wasn't a question to go like, why would two physical therapists with in their thirties try to get quote their fifteen minutes of fame for what? You know, like we would have been trying to do that a long time ago, and there's you know, there's reality TV, there's YouTube, there's many other, other ways. ways to get popular. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, then there's, I think even after the fact, it was a lot of focus on uh, one of the perpetrators, Mueller. They went, well, what happened to this guy? He went to Harvard. Like, this is, and it is a tragedy. This, um, what this man's life has turned into is, is a tragedy. But there was a lot of focus on him not necessary and not necessary to focus on the victims as and that's part of then like why we wanted to write from our standpoint and you know nikki egan our co-author really helped us amplify our voices and made sure that it was um a lot of us actually writing with her helping edit and asking us more questions and really honing our story um so that uh you see the pers- our perspective more or less I feel like I have to ask this and I'm sorry in advance, but had you guys like seen or read Gone Girl before the media declared this the next Gone Girl? I had read the book and saw the movie. Uh, So I don't necessarily blame the media so much for labeling because it gets clicks, right? Um, It's the police officers who use that as their determining factor for a crime instead of actual evidence when you have FBI agents and detectives going like, well, it sounds like the movie gone girl. That's pretty low level decision-making. Um, and they're the ones who were, uh, they're the ones who were telling the media, it sounds like gone girl. So, uh, yeah. And I had never read the book or seen the movie. And so for me to have apparently tried to replicate something that I knew nothing about was pretty um, just maddening. Uh, and then two, going through everything I did with law enforcement and them not believing me and the way that the rapes occurred and how, and just how everything was set up to where I was defenseless and I didn't fight back. Um, I didn't, I didn't make the situation more violent. Um, and that was used against me, uh, as you know, I'm getting my rape test and thinking, God, I wish I would have fought back. So there would be more obvious injuries. So maybe then they would believe me. Of course, you know, I I finally watched the movie about nine months after, and I see how she uh, like hit herself in the face with a hammer and like gave herself internal injuries to help, um, uh, complement her, her lie. Uh, and so I just realized it didn't matter 
what happened if if i was more beaten or not or if i was more hysterical or not it they would have just used any excuse to not believe me i mean i feel it's a overarching heartbreaking motif that happens to so many rape victims too where it's like you why how why, how should a victim who's going to a hospital situation be having to self-doubt or question themselves that they weren't a proper victim when there's no way to be a proper victim. It's how do you stop them from becoming a victim or how do you help them at that point? So that is just, I hate that you both experienced that in different levels. And can you, I'm sure it's in the book. Can you both walk through because you did, ha- you both had situations where you went to the police looking for help and looking for clarity and answers. And the situation just got completely turned on both of you. Yeah. In my case, um, pretty much what, right when I went to the police, they, they slow played the idea because they didn't believe me, but they, for hours, acted as if they did. Uh, and that's not uncommon. They're, this, what was uh, disturbing is when I, after, after my 18 hours interrogation and later on, I started researching police interrogation te- techniques and found out this isn't, um, what happened to me wasn't unique. This is actually how they're trained. And what was unique in my scenario is after 18 hours, I didn't falsely confess because many people do because you just want, it's basically psychological torture. Um, it actually came from police used to be able to beat people and then they couldn't physically hurt them. So then they developed how can you psychologically pressure people? And, uh, that is one of the most disturbing things about it. Um, and you're sen- in, in my scenario, I'm, I know Denise is in serious, serious danger. And I'm trying to convince the police to actually investigate. Um, that's probably, that's part the main reason why I endured so, so many hours. Um, but they, they can choose what they do. And that's, um, and they end up doing the same thing to Denise is that you talk to them and they can choose, they decide what's evidence. They decide what they believe. Uh, and once they have that confirmation bias and tunnel vision, it's a very, very difficult thing to, to alter. Actually, we, the only reason why it got altered was a different department uh, did their job uh, uh, and caught him. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking to you. We wouldn't have a book. Our lives would still be destroyed and it took another family going through a tragedy for that. Yeah, I well, and for me, um, I mean, I, I was convinced for those two days that I, I I would be killed, and so I mean, moment to moment was just trying to figure out how to live and survive, um, being in the defenseless position I was in, and it never occurred to me in those two days that if I did survive, I wouldn't be believed, and then what do I do, and how do I handle that? And especially considering how the home invasion occurred and everything happened to, and the arrogance of my captor saying to me, you know, Aaron went to the police and the media are covering this, but it doesn't bother me. It's, it'll be good PR for our group. I mean, he didn't seem to be afraid at all. And so I'm released and immediately met with um, not just doubt or disbelief, but attacks um, it just made me feel like it never ended. Like this was just like next phase of this kidnapping. And it was just this much bigger thing that, um, I would have no ability to protect myself from. 
It's uh, you, you thought that you were released to safety and freedom, but then it was your reputation that was taken and it, it just everything that you guys had on the line. And I know that the police only just recently publicly apologized. That's correct, right? Yeah. To you all? And how, I mean, at that point, what, did, what was your thought when they reached out to you kind of, I mean, truly six years later type of situation? Well, they didn't reach out to us. They, they, they commented to 2020 into people magazine because they were putting out a, you know, a story to about our book release. We, we had reached out, our our co-author had reached out to the police um, when we were doing our final edits for the book to say, do you have anything to say? And they didn't have a comment. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, yeah. Wow. And quite honestly, the apology doesn't matter because it's six years later. They're not actually apologizing to us. And if they were um, truly invested in not having this happen again, they would make policy and procedural changes. So the detective yeah. Mustard, who handled our case, actually botched our case, you know, in 2015 was given officer of the year. He's still the lead detective for that unit. Um even though he's lied on sworn statements in our case and he's lied on sworn statements in other cases. So he's unqualified to be in the position he's in, uh, but they continue to keep him in a, a, a crucial part of the, their, their department. So if they're really actually concerned about apology, like words don't matter, actions matter. Well, I feel like, you know, we're in the midst just as a country of this like reckoning with law enforcement and how we approach it. And I wanted to know how this experience has shaped your views of the police and law enforcement. I mean, I think it completely changed our whole worldview, um, including with law enforcement. And it's really a difficult place because Aaron's brother is an FBI agent, you know, and, and there's wow. Mis- Misty who, who the detective who cracked the case and linked um, uh, Mueller to our case and, and essentially saved our lives, you know, and our, our reputations and the truth came out. And so there's so many great um, agents and detectives out there that, that, you know, all of this is, um, frustrating and it seems like it's it'd be quite easy to do better it doesn't make sense why it's so hard yeah the installation of uh insulating the poor officers who who are causing the problems is a is probably the biggest issue the lack of accountability um so in like our case the police department has shown no ability to police themselves and they're also tried to hide, like uh, the former police chief of police for Vallejo told officers to delete text messages and emails during our civil case. Um, and so they're, they're trying to keep everything dark and in the shadows instead of actually holding themselves accountable and then improving, which would make, you know, the community safer. And to Denise's point, we know they're good officers. We know people who or dedicate their lives to protecting us and we're but the trade-off they can't you have to have the good officers overwhelm the poor officers and they need to remove them and that's uh, unfortunate they're they're not doing that 
And it just, it's just so frustrating to have that happen. And you're just like, and like, it's also this time so many years later and there is no change yet and there's nothing being done to solve any of it. And then it's also, I'm like a, a public apology, not to the people. That's not an apology. That's just, they're just truly doing the same tactics, just in different ways of like covering things up, PR, hoaxing it all. And that's just, it's just, it's frustrating. And it's just like such a, like Sarah was saying, happens, it's the overarching theme in our country. But that's why it's good that people like you are bringing all the flaws that happen in the system to attention with the book. And I kind of want to go with that too. What is your, because obviously for you two, it was a release to write the book and get your word out. But what do you, is there a hope or maybe a feeling that you hope readers of the book will be able to take away from it? Or if you could have like a major takeaway from it for uh, audience members, what do you, what do you think it could be or should be? Yeah, I think probably there's multiple themes within it, but one would be um, slowing your, the rush to judgment. So that happened at the rush to judgment by law enforcement, the rush to judgment by the media, rush to judgment by the general public. Uh, so there, it's easy now to read headlines and there's, it's easy to get quick outrage, but you really don't know the whole story. You never know anyone's whole story. Um, it's really important and actually a, a good sign to say, I don't know, I need to gather more information uh, instead of sending out potentially hate like Denise received horrible messages that people sought, you know, sought her out to, to, you know, quote, put her in her place. Um, and also on part of this is like uh, our, the facts of our case are quite extraordinary, but the, tr the way we dealt with trauma and the way we've processed through is, is universal. And so, um, you know, at the core of it is, is actually a love story. Um, you know, our love for each other, our support for, from our families, our friends, and we have, a beautiful daughter now. Um, and I think there's, so there's positivity within that. Um, those would be two, two of the major themes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, uh, we did go through a lot of trauma, but in a lot of ways we were lucky, um, because we had each other and our families and our careers and, you know, um, the ability to find and pay for the attorneys that we had, um, to have Aaron's brother, who's an FBI agent, help guide us through a lot of these things that would just be, I mean, you're just lost. Um, and so I think that's why it was really important for us to kind of shed light on some of these issues because you just, you have no way of knowing until you're in it. And then when you're in it, it it's just almost impossible to get through. Um, at least that's the way it feels sometimes. Um, so I think if people can, can see what these issues are, maybe they'll, they'll, pay attention and want to, to be a part of changing some of these things. Yeah. Cause we spent over $140,000 on criminal defense attorneys and we weren't even charged with a crime. So many people don't have the emotional support or the financial support to actually be able to do that. So uh, I think we're, you know, highly educated um, upper middle class white people. They are, unfortunately potentially doing this to more and more people um and there there's opportunities for reform there are there are there is a push to actually make you know policing better and i hopefully people think about that and support that because um bad police work makes the public less safe i i love that that's the mentality you have and i also love you guys are just such an inspiration in terms of your outlook that you overcame something so intense everyone's worst nightmare 
And you, both of you just seem grateful to have each other, grateful for the love, the family you have, which is beautiful. And then you're using this to be like, having it to raise awareness of such a national crisis that is happening in our country overall about how to make our country safer and to make people either in your situation or dealing with just a bunch of other things that may not have the fortunate levels that you have feel a little bit safer too. And it's just very, it's very commendable. It's very commendable from both of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And also I feel like you guys seem like such like a perfect couple too. I feel like you just are like, so like, Sweet and fun. And I love, I feel like over getting through a book together too, you guys can just kind of, you are ready for everything and anything too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think getting through the kidnapping and the the accusations by the police, I mean, they were trying to, to get us to turn on each other. Um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities that our relationship could have ended and it, and it was, you know, don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy. The, for both of us individually to go through PTSD, we have similar and then also different triggers. Um, and it definitely came into our relationship, um, especially intimacy and, and, you know, with, with the rapes. I mean, it's, it was, it was a challenge. Um, and I think what made it work was we never, blamed each other and we never attacked each other about any of it. Um, a lot of the difficulties was more of like our own personal insecurities. You know, for me, like, am I a broken woman? And is he ever going to see me as a whole woman desirable again? Or am I just a victim? You know, is anyone going to see me more than just a victim? And, um, and so, you know, going through therapy and talking through those things and, and, you know, Aaron, feeling guilt about things. I felt guilt, you know, so um, there was a lot of hurdles to go through and and we wanted to be really honest about that in the book. And so we, we shared some of that um, just to show, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to get through trauma, but it's also, it's not impossible, even in moments when it does feel like there's just, this is rock bottom and I, I can't get out. Um, so there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a lifelong journey to, to get through. And, um, we just did our best to try to channel that negative energy and try to turn it into something positive. Definitely. And we're so excited that you guys, um, we're glad you guys came on to discuss the book. Um, we're also glad that you wrote the book. It's going to be, I think, really like informative for people to read, it's an it's an important book because I feel like like you said from the victims POV not and like and just like even when you were just when you were talking I was like for women or just rape survivors who have the guilt of even like you hear so much of them not even coming forward for so late because they're afraid of the repercu- or repercussions of the judgment or the not being believed in so having someone with the experience write this help them show them what they maybe could be feeling or just to know that they're not alone as simple as that it's a crucial it's crucial writing and literature. So we're very thankful that you took the time to talk to us too today. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, we've definitely been inspired by other people speaking out. And so it's like, we're just trying to feed off of other people's strength and energy and hopefully we can pay it forward to other people too. So. Totally. Well, thank you guys so much. And can you just one more time, remind the listeners, the title of the book, where they can find it, everything like that. Yeah, title book is uh, Victim F from Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors. And people can find more information about the book and us on at victimf.com. Great. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Thank yeah, you. Thank you guys. 
Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.